Um, we are now going to um, the time where we uh, get into uh, the preaching of the word. We're looking at Mark chapter 1, verse 15 to uh, 45. So please uh, keep your, uh, your Bibles open to that. Michaela, did you take my Bible? Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 15 to 45. Uh, please open your Bibles there. Now we're looking at, and we started the year looking at the the gospel uh, and the story of Jesus uh, from Mark, from Mark's perspective, and we've titled this series um, "Under Construction." And just to give you a, a bit of a recap of uh, last week and what we we covered and dealt with um, was that God is in the business of renewing and reconstructing us. Uh, that the Christian life is always under construction. Uh, there's always some area of your life that God wants to um, develop, uh, an empty, unproductive area. Uh, there's always a building that he wants to knock off, a, a bad habit, uh, and reestablish a new one. Uh, there's always something happening. There should always be a growth in the life of a disciple and a life of a follower uh, of Jesus. But the thing that we saw is that growth is mercy, uh, growth is slow, um, but growth has to happen. In fact, if you're not growing uh, as a Christian, uh, you should be asking yourself uh, if you are indeed a Christian. Uh, and as we look at Mark's gospel, one of the things that we see is that Mark is interested in both the life of Jesus, uh, so presenting to us who Jesus is, but he doesn't just do that. Uh, he wants us to respond. Uh, he wants us to grow in our knowledge of him, and he wants us um, to um, grow in being disciples who follow this, uh, this king. And now there's something interesting about the way Jesus is presented in the gospel, that the more and more you read it, the more you discover what it means uh, to be a follower um, of Jesus. Uh, so last week, I was competing with the rain, um, if you missed anything, um, it was that Mark is about Jesus. It is a book about Jesus, um, that God has done something big in Jesus. But it's not just about Jesus, it's about discipleship, following Jesus. Discipleship simply means learning at the feet of Jesus and learning to be like him. Uh, so Mark is about discipleship, that this thing, this big thing that God has done in our world has an impact in your life, and it reconstructs and it rebuilds um, your life. Uh, you may say, well, that sounds like most of the Bible. It is about Jesus and about discipleship. But I think Mark has a particular way of dealing with this um, topic. And I think the key word for us to, to understand is this word kingdom. Uh, kingdom means uh, a rule and a reign. Uh, and the kingdom of God is where God rules. And so the question that we need to be asking ourselves, uh, if you're going to read Mark's gospel uh, in your own spare time, or if you're going to read it with someone, is what would it look like, what does it look like for this God uh, to be in charge? Uh, this Jesus, what does it look like um, if Jesus dies on the cross? Uh, what does that mean uh, for my life? What does it change? How does it change uh, the way I approach uh, my life? How does the cross change just about uh, everything in my life? And so that's the idea in Mark's gospel, the shape of it, the shape of the life of Jesus reshapes the life of a Christian. Uh, if you missed 
uh, last week. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into this week as Mark unpacks for us what Jesus has come to do and how that changes um, us living in 2022. So why don't you bow your heads as I pray for us. Father, thank you so much for those uh, songs that we sang, uh, songs that speak about your great salvation, your cross uh, that saves us from our sin, from our shame, from our brokenness. Thank you for King Jesus, uh, who came into our brokenness, who was incarnate, uh, who came to live a life that we were supposed to, and died the death that we deserved. I thank you that Mark presents him as a suffering servant. And I pray, Father, that wherever we delusioned, uh, wherever we have, may have lost hope, uh, that we would once again see that this king is indeed who he says he is. And in his name we pray. Amen. So my favorite comedian, I'm just going to set myself up here. I want to see you guys in that side of the room uh, and in the side. My favorite comedian uh, is uh, obviously Trevor Noah. He's very clean. Um, I love him. Um, he, he is quite of an, an interesting guy because he grew up in church uh, and he grew up going to different sorts of churches. If you read his book, um, uh, you'd realize that he, he went to black church, he went to white church, he went to mixed church, every uh, single church that he could go to in South Africa. Yet, uh, as somebody who's gone through the system uh, of church, he's someone who professes uh, that he's not um, for the Christian faith. In fact, he's not for uh, forcing people to say that there's one way uh, to know God. Uh, but there's an interesting uh, uh, interview that I was watching between him, him and Shia Lamain. Uh, so in, in this interview, they talk about just about everything from marriage uh, to uh, his career. And on one occasion, on uh, part of the interview, they start talking about religion. And Charlemagne says, well, he was a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, those guys who knock on your door, uh, they want to tell you about Jesus. Um, they say there's 144,000 uh, people in heaven. Uh, so Trevor Noah is like, why are you guys then trying to recruit more people if your heaven is full? Um, and he's like, your guys' religion is not fun religion. My religion, I grew up with fun religion in the evangelical church. Just accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're getting into heaven. And so uh, Charlemagne doesn't understand uh, how that works because he grew up in a, in a religion where you had to work your way uh, to, to, to heaven. Uh, you had to be sinless uh, to get to, uh, to heaven. So he doesn't understand how somebody can just trust in Jesus and boom, get into heaven. So he uses this illustration to uh, explain to him. He says that, think of it like a club. Uh, heaven is a club, and for you to get into the club, you need uh, to take off your cap and not wear open, uh, open shoes. Uh, so that is the rule. Um, so it's like trusting Jesus. If you trust Jesus, you can get into the club. Um, but if you want to wear your cap, then it's fine. Stay outside. Do you? Um, so I was listening to that, uh, and I'm like, wow, like he, he sounds convincing. Uh, he sounds like he's, um, um, he thoroughly understood those Sunday school messages. Uh, and he went to a 
uh, quite a decent, decent um, church. Um, but I think if you think about it, um, if you think about the Christian faith, if it boils down to, to that, if it boils down to just, oh, just trust Jesus and, and come in, um, then surely that's too simplistic, isn't it? Yes, uh, the Bible tells us that there's only one way to God, that there's only one way to be saved, and that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but there's so much more that we read, especially if we read Mark's Gospel, so much more when you come to understand and get to grips uh, as to what the kingdom of God uh, is all about. It's not just a, here's a one-way ticket to heaven, and everyone who wants it, come get it. Um, wherever the churches I grew up in will call you up and even guilt trip you into taking that walk to receive Jesus, uh, then you walk out of those doors um, to continue living your life um, as you did. So there's got to be more to the Christian faith. And I think there's two tensions, right? Uh, there's this tension where uh, people believe that um, it's all about heaven. So we just... Just don't worry about this world. Um, we're going to go to heaven one day. Which is true, right? As Christians, this is, that is what we hope in. But you can emphasize that to the extent that you don't understand that there's still life to be lived here. That the kingdom of God begins now. And there's another tension uh, of other people who are very earth-focused. So whenever they read Jesus, they love those parts where Jesus is... Uh, healing people. They love uh, those parts where Jesus is taking care of the poor. Uh, but they don't like this all this stuff of exclusivity and saying that Jesus is the only way. If you can just get rid of those and all the chat about heaven and focus on uh, the, the Jesus who is a social activist, then we will be good. Uh, so those two tensions, one very heavenly focused, uh, which is a good theology, but the New Testament speaks about the kingdom here and the kingdom that endures forever. Mark's Gospel speaks about a life of a Christian now, a life that's continually under construction in the here and now and also in the life to come. Have a look at uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 15 that was not read uh, for us. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 this is Jesus uh, proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus steps into the scene and says all the promises of God, all the story of Israel has come to be fulfilled in him. And he says that the kingdom of God that was promised is right here, right now. And then he goes on to display to us what that kingdom looks like. What does it look like for the king of God's kingdom to be here? The kingdom of God is at hand. Another way is to say that it, it has come near. It is present. And how is it present? Well, because Jesus is present. And Mark presents to us this Jesus. And this Jesus is the Jesus who comes from the wilderness into Galilee, into Jerusalem, and he knows that as he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to die on the cross. Now, if you are in the first century, you'd be asking yourself, why in the world would I want to follow a dead Savior? 
Why in the world would I want to follow a king who dies on the cross? And that, my friend, is the message of Mark's gospel. And I'm not going to tell you why you need to follow a dead savior. Because you're going to walk through Mark's gospel and walk the path uh, with Jesus and discover more and more why we should follow this dead Jesus. And why it is good news that Jesus dies on the cross. So the king of God's kingdom is here. The king of God's kingdom deals with people who live in a real world and he gives them a hope that is outside of this world. One of the, what I want to say to us this evening, what I want you to come to realize is that the world of Mark is the world of brokenness, chaos, and crisis. And that world is similar to our world. Our world is a world of brokenness, chaos, and crisis. And God is coming in the person of Jesus to come to reverse the brokenness, the chaos, and the crisis. Just think about an ordinary person sitting here this evening. So many questions, so many things that trouble us. We live in a real world where we're asking ourselves questions like, why does my uh, child struggle with mental illness? Why is it that I'm always thinking about my mother who I lost? How am I going to get through my studies with that? And the gospel answers that. The gospel goes into uh, the heart of that. Uh, people who are worried about their nephew's fee, how am I going to cover it? People who are worried about corruption in our systems, I want to get a license, but the, the system is corrupt. <laughs> Do I bribe and pay 2,000 rand? The kingdom of God breaks in into that world and comes to transform um, our world. Um, God speaks to people who are asking themselves about disappointments in life. I'm 30, and my life just looks like it's nowhere. I've lost all hope. Perhaps you're delusioned with Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Why doesn't he bless me? Why doesn't he make my life go well? People who are asking themselves questions like, will my wife ever know? I'm in the office space, and there is this girl, and she is obviously saying, I can come. My wife ever find out. That is the world of discipleship. Discipleship doesn't happen in a vacuum. Discipleship happens in brokenness, chaos, and crisis. That is the world of Mark. That is the world that you and I live in. For those Christians who are living in Mark's age, this this is what the commentators say, that their brokenness, their chaos was impending uh, persecution, so they were being persecuted, uh, and we need to put ourselves in their shoes. You persecuted, you're going to be killed. Your king was killed. Why follow him? Is that even good news? Mark will unpack that uh, for us. One of the commentators says that Mark's task was to project the Christian faith in a climate of uncertainty where martyrdom had been a reality. The Christian faith, discipleship happens in a context. For those guys, it happened in the context of martyrdom, people being killed uh, for being Christian. I mean, you think twice about being continuing following a Jesus who you would end up being killed for. He selected and arranged the tradition 
um, to present the Christ who continues to speak and act meaningfully in the context of crisis. Faith happens in, doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in real life. Real life is brokenness, chaos, and crisis. One commentator, another commentator writing says, his purpose that marks good news uh, to a suffering, perhaps even persecuted non-Jewish community, puts discipleship in the context of addressing people's confusion and delusionment. What is following Jesus all about? And I wonder sometimes as we read the stories of the New Testament, do we put ourselves in the shoes of these people? Do we think of our own lives and some of the questions that we, we are grappling with, some of the angst that we have? Do we put ourselves in those guys' shoes? Do we look at our own lives and ask ourselves, what does it mean to follow this king who's presented to us in, um, in Mark's gospel? Two points, two brief points that we're going to see this evening, um, and it's based on my summary that the kin is near to put an end to the powers of brokenness, chaos, and chaos. Not only is he able to do that, but he's also willing. So the king is here. He's here to put an end to the powers of chaos and brokenness. But not only is he able to do that, but he's willing. And I wonder what your life would look like if you believed that Jesus is willing and able to deal with your chaos. Amen. I'm going to use just one tool today, read um, uh, just one tool um, to kind of help us uh, think about our passage. It's a long passage. We're going to run through it. Uh, And this tool is repetition. Uh, because what is repeated here gives us a clue as to what Mark is on about and the kind of Jesus that is presenting to us. If someone repeats something, it's very important. Let me say that again. If somebody repeats something to you, it is very, very important. Someone says something and then says it again, you must know that that's where you need to focus your attention. If someone repeats something, say it with me, it is very important. Amen. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you'll see that there's quite a lot of repetition uh, as you start the Gospel of Mark on the word wilderness. Uh, so Jesus um, is presented. Uh, we hear a quote about one crying out in the wilderness. John is baptizing in the wilderness. The Spirit throws Jesus into the wilderness. And then there's a progression from the wilderness to Galilee. Now the wilderness in Hebrew thinking, uh, we live in a different culture. Uh, but they, when you said wilderness to those guys, they understood that the wilderness is a place of chaos uh, and disorder. And in Mark's gospel, we see, we saw last week in verses 12 and 13 that Jesus is tempted by the chief of the wilderness, uh, Satan himself, the king of the powers of evil, Very interesting, the other Gospels tell us that Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness. Mark doesn't tell us that. It almost seems like Jesus steps out of the wilderness, and then John is arrested. He proclaims that the kingdom is here, and on he goes into Galilee to reverse the powers of the evil one. 
So it's an ongoing defeat of the enemy. It's an ongoing defeat of Satan and the works of Satan. So he is moving from the wilderness into Galilee. What is he doing in Galilee? He's giving us a taste of what it looks like for the king to be present and the king to defeat evil. So not only is there a repetition of the wilderness, Jesus stepping into Satan's territory. In Setswana we say that you are so disrespectful. You would follow a snake into its hole. That's beastly, isn't it? That is the kind of Jesus that Mark presents to us. Yet later on, he's going to die on a cross. We're not there yet. We're seeing and witnessing a, a, a powerful Jesus. And the question is, which one is this one? Who is this guy? Have a look at verse 27. And they were all amazed. They were all amazed. So that they were, they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? So every act of Jesus, every act that he does in Galilee, particularly in this section, um, brings people to ask this question. What kind of man is this one? Which one is this one? Now the other thing, the other repetition, it was the wilderness we see that there is a specific focus in wilderness to Galilee. But Mark uses this word quite constantly, immediately. I don't know how many times um, you can see that uh, in, in our text. Immediately, 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 immediately. So he's telling us a gospel in a hurry. He's telling us about Jesus. But he's doing that thing that um, uh, this guy, I remember called Sitle. Sitle was a guy from Soweto. Soweto was a cool thing if you were staying in Rustenburg because they had, like, gangsters. So Sitle would tell us a story. But you know when someone is, like, like, wow, shasha, they're not, they, they're just buttering you. They tell you the story quickly. Mark is not buttering us, but he's telling us the story of Jesus quickly. But he wants us uh, to recognize the authority that this Jesus has. Immediately, we see that Jesus went uh, to Galilee. Have a look at uh, verse 8. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So that's the first thing that he does after he says um, that the kingdom is here. He goes out to call disciples. He goes and calls people who would follow him. And immediately, they followed him, these two guys. And you almost want to ask the question, uh, as Sitch is telling the story, hang on a minute. But that guy, where did he get the guns? No, it doesn't matter. Sitle is going on and telling you the story on the go. You want to ask yourself, this guy, Simon uh, and his brother, uh, Andrew, where did they sell those, uh, uh, those uh, equipment? Did they sell them? What happened? Then immediately, have a look at verse 20. Immediately, he called them. He calls other guys, the, the, uh, and they left their father, Zebedee, uh, immediately they followed him. Verse 21, uh, he went into, he goes into Capernaum and immediately he goes in on a Sabbath, uh, church is packed on a, on a Saturday, uh, religious people and then out cries a demon. Imagine that you are the guy who's sitting there and your demon is coming out in church. Uh, immediately and immediately 
there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and then Jesus cast it out, and immediately, uh, verse 29, he left the synagogue and entered uh, somebody's house, and then uh, he found somebody who was sick. Have a look at uh, verse 30, and immediately they told him about her, and then Jesus goes on uh, to heal this lady. Verse 42, and immediately uh, he meets this guy who is a leper, and immediately he has pity on him, and uh, he heals him. Now, the common theme across all of those things is that Jesus, the king who is present, is coming to reverse the powers of chaos. Have a look at how often the word unclean spirit or demon is um, is mentioned. Verse 23, an unclean spirit. Verse 26, an unclean spirit. Verse 27, an unclean spirit. Verse 32, the sick or oppressed, those who are oppressed by demons. Uh, verse 34, he tells the demons uh, to keep quiet. Verse 39, he's in Galilee and he's casting out demons. What do we see in all of those repetitions? Well, Mark puts together these stories, um, and we, as we put ourselves in those guys' shoes, imagine, I don't know what it's like having a demon, but I'm sure that's a broken and chaotic life, isn't it? But this Jesus um, of Mark chapter 1 comes in and puts an end to the powers that cause chaos. Immediately, he is able, and again and again, the question is, what is this? What kind of authority is this? This Jesus, uh, our first point, is that he's come, he's come into this world. He's here to reverse the powers of chaos and evil. But verse 40 to 45, this is what we learn. And I'm going to read it carefully and slowly for us. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved by pity, this is the Jesus we see in, in Mark's gospel, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Now again, you browse, browse through that story. But this is a story of brokenness. This is the story of chaos. This is the story of somebody living in a crisis moment. Yet Jesus comes to touch him. If you come to me, I will give you this book to read and give it back. <laughs> it's called Contagious Holiness. And one of the things that we, we read through the stories... One of the things that you should realize is that leprosy is worse than COVID. It is a skin disease that eats away at your life. It is a skin disease that destroys you. It is a skin disease that uh, makes you an outcast. There is no medical aid to cover leprosy. There is no cure for it. In fact, if you were to touch somebody who had leprosy, you would become a leper. But one of the beauties of the gospel message is that Jesus comes to touch us. He comes into 
our mess and brokenness. And instead of being affected by the mess and brokenness, he affects our mess and brokenness. This is the Jesus who takes upon himself our infirmities. And on the way to the cross, uh, Mark tells us, and Mark shows us that this Jesus is able, he's able to do all that he says. He's able to reverse the powers of chaos and brokenness. This man's life was broken. This man was desperate. Um, Yet this, again, is a picture of a powerful Jesus. But not only is Jesus able, but he's also willing. If you will, make me clean. He stretched out his hand and said, I will be clean. And the leprosy left him. And on and on and on, Jesus says to these people, keep quiet, keep quiet. (laughs) Because he's displaying his authority, but there's much more to this king than this authority. There's much more that we're going to discover about this Jesus. But the one thing that we learn from this um, evening is that all those stories teach us that of all our brokenness, of all the mess that we live in, Jesus is powerful. But one of the things that we see about him here is that he's God incarnate. He's God with us in our mess. Not only is he able, but he's also willing. He wants to sort out our mess. He wants to transform our lives. But he healed this man knowing that he would die again, probably. But there was much more that he wanted to um, to reveal to us. There was much more that he wanted to give um, of the kingdom. But what do we learn from this evening? That Jesus is willing and able to restore our chaos and our brokenness. I wonder what kind of faith, what your faith would look like if you believe that. Sometimes you read the New Testament. Like, do you, do you really believe that Jesus touched this guy and he was healed? Do you really believe that he was powerful enough to sort out demons? Like, did, some of us, most of us grew up in, like, hectic backgrounds, right? <laughs> like, of ancestral worship, demons. Like, I feared this stuff. Do you really believe that Jesus is powerful over the evil world? He shows us in his temptation and all across this, um, this, um, this section that he has come to proclaim that he's the king and he has come to proclaim that he rules and he's going to overthrow the powers of chaos and evil. I'm going to end it off with just um, a story. Uh, a neighbor of mine, uh, he, he took me to Waterfall Estates. How many of you know Waterfall Estates? It is. I, I stepped in. You know when you move, step in and you're like, just I need to behave myself. Yeah. Um, like fingerprints and all of that. Uh, it's nice. I realize I'm poor. Eh? <laughs> like, <laughs> and you drive through this uh, estate. But one of the things that I I looked at were those Children, just young kids, living lavishly off of their father's and mother's hard work. Knowing that they are secure in this riches. Knowing that they could ask good stuff from their parents and they would be willing to give it to them. 
Knowing that their parents are both able, they have the means, and they're willing to love them with nice things. And I ask myself the question, do I believe that Jesus is that person? Do I believe that in my brokenness, in some of my habits that are ungodly, in some of the places that I've given up in my Christian life, you've been fighting the struggle? Like, 20 years later, you haven't conquered it? Do you believe that Jesus can reverse that? I wonder for you, do you believe, do you have that assurance that this guy is willing and able to help me reverse the chaos that I live in? I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this great news of King Jesus, uh, this King Jesus who's come to win our salvation in this world of chaos, who's come to put an end to it. Uh, thank you that we sometimes see the taste of that when we conquer a sin, when we find forgiveness, uh, when relationships are reconciled because of Jesus. But I pray, Father, that you would make us long in our own lives to truly believe that you are both willing and able. You're both willing and able to help us in our weaknesses and in our brokenness. I pray that this year, Lord, we would have such a, an immense trust in you uh, that as we read the words of Mark, that Jesus would become alive uh, through the scriptures and that we would fall in love with him once again and have this sure hope that is both willing and able to help us in our time of weakness. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the power of the cross uh, that destroys sin. Thank you for a life of the kingdom that knows no end and that we can see and taste it in this life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.